Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Sometimes I get the idea that there are some things uh, the devil does not want people to hear. Uh, my voice has been going in and out all week. If you are watching this online with sound, uh, you have come back for that because <laughs> it wasn't working live. Thank you for coming back. Uh, so this morning, I am uh, grateful for uh, cough drops, microphones, and replays. Um, and, uh, and my prayer is that whatever we're doing together this morning is worth all the devil's trouble. Okay? Amen. Uh, little behind the scenes for sermon planning. Sometimes the topic we decide to discuss um, is uh, a, a topic that God has just been working in uh, us as staff or leadership. Uh, sometimes there's something going on in the community that we want to make sure uh, we talk about. Uh, sometimes we're just going through a, a book of scripture and we're just, this is the next passage, so we're going to, to talk about it. Uh, this morning, uh, we came to this topic because I learned some things and I want to share them with you. Uh, I specifically um, found a, a YouTube video or through the algorithm it found me of uh, Tim Mackey of Bible Project down in Portland teaching a little class on a section of scripture uh, in Genesis 3. Um, and if you want to watch that video for yourself, uh, on your notes, uh, there is a uh, there's a little YouTube link at the bottom. You could type that in um, and go see it for yourself. I hope you do, partly because uh, Tim, I'm sure, I'm absolutely positive, explains it so much better than I'm going to be able to sum it up this morning. Uh, he took about 20, I'm gonna take five or 10. Um, and, and also to, to check me and make sure that I'm not uh, making stuff up on my own, uh, but there are also wise people uh, looking at these things the same way. Uh, I hope you do that with lots of stuff that you don't just trust because somebody gave me a microphone. Um, I know what I'm doing up here because I am learning so much of this right along with you. Uh, so, so please uh, check that out uh, as, as well. So uh, I want to build off of uh, that sermon, uh, or sorry, that class, that video uh, a little bit this morning. And uh, so to, to do that, uh, we're going to look at uh, the uh, first commission of God to humans. Uh, we're going to look at possibly the worst passage of scripture to look at on a Mother's Day. We're going to look at maybe the most famous passage of scripture. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to stand on a chair or two without falling off and hurting myself. So we will uh, go through that together. Let's start then uh, in Genesis chapter, well, we're just going to start right at the beginning. We're going to start in chapter uh, one, because what we're building toward is uh, chapter three, uh, page three of uh, the Bible, uh, but a lot happens on the first two pages. Uh, God creates uh, the whole world. Uh, he creates humanity, and, and he uh, looks at humanity and all of his creation and says, this is very good. So at the end of uh, Genesis 1, at the end of this creation uh, account, starting in verse 28, then God blessed them, the humans, and said, be fruitful and multiply. So this is his first mission for them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. 
And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And it stayed very good for like a whole page. Uh, and then... Uh, and then Genesis 3 comes along and these humans uh, reach for something that was not theirs to reach for. They reach for power and knowledge that is not for them. Uh, and they decide that they would rather grasp at uh, power uh, than, than do what God has asked them to do. And in doing so, they broke and spoiled this good and perfect world that God had made. God made a world that was whole and perfect and good and it broke. What was whole became broken. And the Bible then talks about this breaking as, as a curse. That where there had been no shame and guilt before, suddenly there was. And immediately, immediately upon this breaking, fulfilling their mission to be fruitful and to cultivate God's goodness gets a lot more complicated as they are hiding from each other and hiding from God, trying to hide from their shame of what they have done and experienced. There's, there's a fracture that has appeared in the world. There's a fracture that has appeared in the relationship between the humans, between each other, and in humanity's relationship with God. And there is nothing that can be done in that moment to reverse the curse. But this is where we get our first indication that something is going to need to happen to undo this breaking, to reverse this curse that has fallen on not just humanity, but on the entire world. A reversal that gets enacted through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But in this moment, God needs to explain the consequences of this breaking to the humans. And like a, a loving father talking to his uh, shame-faced kids, God explains that there are significant consequences to their choice to, for reaching and grasping. There's significant consequences that are coming into their lives and into the world because of the brokenness that has been introduced. So we find this explanation. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 3, verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Happy Mother's Day. And to the man he said, to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Uh, if you watch the, the video of, uh, that, that's there in, in your notes, um, one woman says, okay, wait, so uh, women get uh, dangerous, perilous birthing pains, uh, and guys get a bad day at work. Like, how, how is that fair? Okay, it doesn't make sense. Well, uh, here's, here's where we get to the nerdy stuff, because if Tim Mackey's involved, it's going to get Bible nerdy, and that's just how it's going to go, and that's, in this case, I think, fantastic. 
Um, and if you watch this video, you will also watch him do what I think is a great job of explaining that he has no desire, and I have no desire, to undermine in any way our confidence in our English translations. Uh, that, that, and I don't know if you've ever thought about how uh, our Bibles are translated into English, uh, but some of the world's best scholars in these languages and in biblical history get together and they say, okay, we're going to translate this into English. I think it's important for us to remember that, as Tim says, every English translation is also an act of interpretation, that there is some amount of interpreting that has to happen, and that's okay. Uh, and, and so what happens is they go to translate these things, they kind of divvy up the passages, and they work on it, and then they compare notes with each other. Um, and then these committees of brilliant people, I mean, just infinitely smarter than I am, uh, vote on, on, okay, on some of these tricky passages, which way do we go here? Um, and, and sometimes, as Tim says, you can see which way the vote fell. Sometimes it just falls on, well, this is the closest to how we've always translated it, so we're, we're gonna go uh, with this. And, and Genesis uh, 3.16 has some of those tricky parts uh, in it. So uh, if we look at this verse again, um, where it says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Uh, most other translations say I will, so this is a New Living Translation. Most other translations say that I will, I will sharpen the pain of childbirth for you. Uh, so we think, okay, uh, carrying around a baby for nine months and pushing it out is going to be painful. Um, as my wife said when, when I talked about this, because I was so excited about learning something new here, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this thing I learned. She goes, I don't know how that wouldn't be painful. Like, I, if this is the way, right, I am so grateful that this is not an experience I have had or will ever have. Uh, very grateful for that. Uh, but, but if this was the way that God had designed uh, us as humans uh, to be fruitful and multiply, I don't know how that part wasn't going uh, to be painful the, the whole time. Sorry, ladies. Um, Hebrew uh, has three perfectly good words for labor and being in labor with child, for childbirth. Uh, part of this, and we go three words, holy smokes, but, but up until about 100 years ago, um, it, maybe not even that long ago, uh, having a bit, the actual act of childbirth was incredibly perilous and dangerous and was super significant in every culture because it was both the height of joy and so often the depths of sadness um, as mom or baby or both did not make it. And the risk of that was so high. And so like many ancient languages, they have plenty of ways to talk about this incredible event. Uh, but those three words uh, actually aren't used here, not in, not in the first half of this passage. They show up in the second half, but in this first part, where again, we're, we're looking at the, the uh, pain of your pregnancy or the pain of childbirth. There are, there are other translations of your King James for person. It talks about increasing uh, your pain and your conception, um, which... Uh, is maybe more close to the original language, but doesn't actually make sense as an English uh, sentence, but is, is a little bit closer. Um, see, if we look at this Hebrew word that we're trying to translate and interpret here, uh, anywhere else it is used in the book of Genesis, and it is used a lot, it actually means conception. 
It, mean, it means to conceive a child, not to give uh, birth to it. And we'll, we'll look at a, a couple examples of this in, in a, a moment. Um, so actually, Genesis 3.16 tells us that the first curse on humanity is that it is now going to be more difficult and painful to conceive children. More difficult and painful to conceive children. Now, I don't think this is referencing the act of sex itself, although that may be part of it. Uh, and if sex is painful for you, ladies, one, you're not alone in that. And two, I'm sorry that you are experiencing that part of the brokenness of this world. That's what God is explaining here. Is there is a brokenness in this world that infects and impacts so much of everything. But I, I think the point here uh, is, is actually this, that women in the way that you are uniquely designed to produce life, the brokenness that we are now all experiencing will make that harder. So if you want to be a mom and it is just not happening, if you have experienced miscarriage after miscarriage, if that for whatever reason was just never an option for you and you really wanted it to be, you just never got the chance. I'm sorry that you have experienced that part of the brokenness in this world. I was shocked when we got pregnant with our first one to hear the statistics of how common miscarriage is one in every three pregnancies. I had no idea. Uh, growing up, I, as a naive guy, I just assumed people got pregnant, they had a baby, no problem. Uh, that's, that's not one out of every three. And that doesn't even get into the staggering statistics about infertility. If you are going through those things, please know that you are not alone. And I, I don't think that makes it any easier to go through in any way. But maybe it's just nice to know that you're not alone and maybe it would, be, uh, it would make you more willing and able to talk about it, uh, to, um, to engage with other people uh, around you about it and say, hey, let's journey through this thing together. And um, before we move on, I, I don't wanna let God off the, the hook here. He says, I will increase, saying that, Look, because what was good and whole has been broken, I am now going to increase this difficulty. And I'm not gonna try to fully explain that this morning. Um, I, I we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how God wants to use the hard things that we, we go through though. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's, uh, let's talk about this word uh, pain uh, that's, that's in here. Um, uh, and I actually want to move to verse 17 uh, to, to do that. So again, here's Genesis uh, 3, 17. Uh, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And your, all your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it, you, you will struggle. Here's the thing, um, that phrase, uh, you will struggle, um, is based on the same uh, Hebrew word as pain of pregnancy. Like they're actually the same, they're the same word. 
So, so the, the curse, the brokenness that falls on men and women is actually the exact same concept. It, it is this idea uh, of pain and of grief and of struggle. Uh, curse two that falls on humanity then is it is now going to be more difficult and painful to produce food. Now again, <laughs> producing food and producing a child may feel like uh, different tasks, <laughs> different, different levels of, of difficulty. God created humanity with a mission in mind. And he set them on this mission to create and produce beautiful things in a beautiful way. And we still have this desire. We have a desire in us as human beings to create beautiful things, to be a part of beautiful things, to see them happen in a beautiful way. And yet beauty and wholeness no longer come naturally. The creating something good and beautiful and whole is hard and painful. And I think it's why we admire people who create beauty in this world, who create beautiful marriages, who create beautiful songs and beautiful works of art, because we know how hard it is to push through the pain of those things to create the beauty and see something be that beautiful. But every beautiful thing that we create, every beautiful thing that we are a part of, pushes back on the darkness of the brokenness, pushes back on the weight of this curse. In what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, it is seeing the kingdom of God overcome the brokenness in our world. Because here's the truth about this brokenness. The brokenness of sin undermines our ability to produce and provide. The brokenness of sin undermines our ability to produce and provide. What was natural to us is now short-circuited. Our ability to provide children for our spouse or grandbabies for our parents or to provide for those children or to create beauty in the world. All of these processes and abilities are, are now ravaged with pain. And the truth is, we don't need scripture to tell us that. <laughs> we can look around the world, we can look back at our lives and we can understand that to put beautiful things, beautiful relationships, art, work, whatever into the world is a struggle and it is hard. We see that, we know that, we've experienced that. What scripture tells us is why. That that there is a good creation that is broken and we live in that brokenness. Now, I want to be clear that, that not just women uh, struggle uh, when, when it comes to infertility. Right? There are many, many wants to be dads who struggle that that is not their reality and it's not true in their family is not just uh, men who want to provide for their families, right? Men and women alike want to provide a safe home for their kids, financial security, uh, future strength. 
We, we want to provide these things for one another. These are human experiences. No, no matter what your culture or your circumstances are, this is the brokenness that we all experience. We have a desire to provide and produce these beautiful things and we find it to be painful and hard. And these curses are actually played out throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. I'm gonna rattle off some names and if you don't know these names, that is totally fine. I would encourage you to read the rest of the book of Genesis just to watch how these things get played out uh, and how God stays faithful to them through uh, all of it. We watch Abram and Sarai struggle with infertility. We watch Jacob and Rachel struggle with infertility. As for the ground, uh, Noah has to start agriculture all over again. Uh, in Genesis 12, Abram faces famine in Canaan, so he moves to Egypt. And then later in Genesis, Joseph faces famine in Egypt and uh, they, he nearly loses his whole family. And again, this word for pain is not just in the struggle or the toil, uh, but it is also uh, a word associated with grief. That, that there is, and, and again, Tim does a much better job explaining this, but there is a truth in, in Genesis 3.16 where it talks about uh, the, the grief that we experience as we go through the pain and the difficulty of these things. Uh, as we were talking about this uh, last night, uh, we were talking about how, how we um, uh, are working on the science to make conception easier. Uh, we have done a lot of work on the science uh, to make the actual pushing out of a child uh, more painless. Again, haven't been there. I hesitate to say anything. Anyway, uh, ep epidurals are good, I understand. That's all I'm saying. Um, uh, even if we can eradicate all of those pains, uh, from the point the child is born forward, uh, there is also some grief and some pain involved, okay? We love our children, but, but there is grief and pain involved in human relationships. And maybe uh, that pain feels most acute in our relationship with our kids. Sometimes we see that play out <laughs> throughout the book of Genesis. The very next story, Adam and Eve's uh, kids, uh, Cain and, and Abel, one kills the other one. Uh, Noah is like cursing his kids because of how broken his relationship is with them. Um, Isaac and Ishmael rivalry, Esau and Jacob rivalry. Uh, Jacob's kids are jealous of his relationship with Joseph. Um, and that's just the kids causing their parents pain. We could also talk about all the ways that parents cause their kids pain. And all of this should be expected based on what God told them. Uh, he didn't lie to them or pull any punches about how this was going to go. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Do you remember we read in Genesis 1 that God said, all of these plants that I have made are yours to eat. They're my gift to you. They're yours. And now God is saying, um, yeah, all of that that was given to you, 
Now you're gonna have to work for it. The part of the brokenness was these things that were provided for you are now going to be a struggle. And so by the sweat of your brow, you're gonna work for these things until you return to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, all of that. Um, so uh, I thought I'd take my own, uh, try my own hand at translating this verse for us. Um, so Josh's version is life hurts and then you die. Um, which is what Genesis 3.19 uh, says. Um, uh, sweat your brow, dust to dust, uh, life hurts, and then you die. I think it was more eloquently said uh, by Wesley in The Princess Bride. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling something. <laughs> Such a quotable movie. All right. Uh, well then, um, perhaps, <clears throat> uh, let me try to sell you something, sort of. Um, I want to look at one of the most famous passages in scripture, Psalm 23. Uh, even if you don't know this passage, you may recognize some of the words as I read it out. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. I think we get this idea about our uh, Christian life um, that lines up really nicely uh, with the first couple verses of this psalm. Um, that, that the Lord is my shepherd, I will have everything uh, that I, I need or, or, or want. Um, and and I'm, that following Jesus is going to be um, a, a life of green meadows, um, of mountaintop to mountaintop. Like we get this idea and we're laughing because we know if we've been following Jesus for any amount of time, that that's not how this works. We don't go from mountaintop to mountaintop, right? We, we, and we, we know that. And yet we seem to talk, especially when we're not on the mountaintop, like our expectation is that we are going to be up here above the fray, that we will be in these uh, green meadows on these uh, beautiful mountains uh, above all of the, the hurt and agony of the world. And yeah, yeah, down there it is broken, but God, I'm following you and you tell me that you're my shepherd. And what that means for me is that you are going to do the things that need to happen, right? So that I stay in the green meadows and with the little bubbling stream, right? And, and, and as long as I am faithful to you, my life will look like a series of mountaintops and green meadows. Mountaintop to mountaintop. One to the next. God, you will uh, carry me through, right? We're, we're, we're there are only one set of footprints. You're carrying me to the next mountaintop, right? Anyway, that's the whole idea. We, like two people got that reference. That's okay. We, <laughs> We 
we know that life gets harder than that, right? We know that no matter how, that sometimes life gets hard. We know sometimes life gets hard because, because of us, right? Because of the way the brokenness plays out in us. Because we tumble ourselves down the mountain because something down there sounded more appealing than the green meadows that we're in. But sometimes, sometimes life just happens, right? We're going along fine in our green meadows with our little bubbling stream. And then the doctor says cancer. Or our spouse says divorce. Or our kids say, I hate you. Or our work says we are downsizing or reallocating resources. And suddenly, we find ourselves in a valley of darkness. And we're going, wait, 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 wait. I thought, I thought there were green meadows and peaceful streams. What is going on? And part of the pain of the valley of darkness, I mean, think about, I mean, physically, think about a, a valley of darkness. What makes it dark? Well, it is the shadows of the mountaintops around it. We can see the underside of the green meadows that we thought we were supposed to be in. And they are just looming over us, taunting us as we walk through these shadows, going, I thought this was going to be mountaintop to mountaintop. What am I doing slumming down here in places of despair and desperation and pain? And this is where we start to talk about life and talk to God and talk about God like we expected to move from mountaintop to mountaintop. Where we say, God, I'm not supposed to be here. Where we start doubting that God is even real. Where we start doubting if God was even with us in the meadow. Maybe I just did that for myself. Maybe I just need to do it for myself again. And I want you to hear me that I'm not criticizing that doubt. I'm telling you that that doubt makes sense in the valley of darkness, in the shadows of death. I get why those doubts happen. I have them. I understand. I don't understand what darkness you're walking through, but I understand that all of us get into this darkness that feels so, so lonely. And we wonder if God was ever with us in the first place. On our best days in the darkness, most of us begin to try to use words of hope where we say, okay, everything happens for a reason. Okay, I know that God works all things for good. I know that God has a plan here. Yes, all true. But a plan for what? When you say God has a plan, do you mean that God has a plan to make you feel better? Or do you mean that God has a plan to love you and help you grow? Because these are very different answers to that question. And how you answer that question will change how you respond to God in the valley of darkness. Are you anticipating that God's plan means that he is going to do some greater circumstance for you later? Like, sure, sure, that meadow was great. But I'm sure the next mountain, this one is gonna be so much better. I'm gonna be so much higher over here, greener meadows, better, I mean, much better stream over. Like, God must be taking me through this thing so that whatever over there is better and I feel better. And, and God, yeah, all of this is happening, but God's plan is to get me to something more beautiful over there. Is that possible? 
Absolutely. But if we believe that God's plan is simply to make us feel better, then we will continue to look for the things that make us feel better and decide that that's God's plan. I came across this quote from a, a pastor, author, leadership guy named Terry Walling, and I can't refine the quote. Uh, so this is a uh, paraphrase um, of that quote. Uh, that in the valley, uh, we keep trying to get out and God keeps trying to get in to us. In the valley of darkness, <clears throat> we keep trying to get out. God keeps trying to get in to us. There is a work that God wants to do in our hearts and lives that is best done in our discomfort and in our desperation. There's a way that God's light will shine brighter in the darkest places. There's a work in our character that God wants to do that sometimes is best done when we are feeling most open and desperate and vulnerable. And I think that's easiest to see when something we've done has tumbled us down the mountain into the valley of darkness. We go, okay, yep, I messed up. God, I need you to work on my character. <laughs> But God has a work he wants to do in our lives. Even when it is simply the brokenness and the crush of the brokenness that has brought us down into the valley. Now, will there be mountaintops in the future? <clears throat> will there be green meadows and days to come? Probably, I hope so. Please, Lord. There will also, for sure, be new ministries, new opportunities, new missions to participate in. And so there is a preparation in the valley. There is a reformation, a purification of us that happens in the valley. And so when we say God is working all the things for good, what good do we believe God is trying to do? Now, I actually wanna look at this promise because it's a promise straight out of scripture. Uh, this is uh, Romans uh, eight twenty. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. There's a brilliant, uh, in my opinion, brilliant theologian named N.T. Wright. Um, who sounds, he's British, he sounds as brilliant as he seems to be. Um, and he points out this really common, uh, I think, misperception of this verse. That when we read the word for, uh, that he's gonna work things together for the good, uh, that we often think on behalf of, okay? Like the way we play this verse out, okay, God's gonna do it on behalf of uh, those who love him and are called according, according to his purpose. But there is a Greek verb in this passage that doesn't mean instead of or on behalf of, but actually means with. So N.T. Wright gives it this wording. Again, same Greek words, just clarifying uh, this verb. He says, we know, in fact, that God works all things together for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. 
Again, the word, the word for here is fine. I'm with Tim. I don't want to undermine our confidence in English translations at all. And the, again, these people are so much smarter than me. For is, is fine. God is a big God, and he does not need us to cooperate with him uh, in bringing wholeness to the brokenness. And yet, there is a work that God wants to do with you, bringing light to the darkness. This is not about God wanting to provide you with a new mountaintop experience and neither is it about God wanting to deprive you of a mountaintop experience. Sometimes we get down here in the valley and we feel like God is holding out on us. But what if instead of holding out on us, God is trying to get into us in some new and meaningful, loving way? This is a promise of God to be with you and an invitation for you to come work with him. Uh, In the valley of darkness, we witness the witness of God. In the valley of darkness, we witness the witness of God. In the light up here on the mountain, when we're in our uh, meadows of green and our beautiful streams, What we witness is the provision of God. And yes, the shepherd is there leading us into these meadows and streams. Absolutely true. But it's very, very easy to focus on what God has provided, to focus, right? The whole time I've been talking about this scenario, I've been talking about the meadows and the rivers and the things that God provides for us. And we praise him for those things. We thank him for that. And that is so good and right and true. But we tend to focus on the provision of God down here, where it doesn't seem like anything has been provided, where we can't see past our own hand, let alone to what's going on around us, what we witness is the witness of God, that the same shepherd who was with us in the meadow is with us in the valley, and he's not going anywhere. Even when it doesn't feel like he's providing anything, even when all we want is for him to provide a way out, he is with us. His rod and his staff Comfort. There is an active comforting that God is doing. And we get to see this light that somehow shines all the brighter in the darkness. And we get to see it, witness it, learn to learn love from it. Um, and we get to witness to other people. Uh, that God is with them, that there is a light in their darkness. So much of the world around us is walking through the valley of darkness under the crush of this brokenness, and they have no idea that God is with them and that he wants to get into them and into their lives. He wants to work with them to beat back the brokenness and the darkness with his light and his wholeness and his peace. And we get to tell them, Christians or not, hey, God is with you and he has good that he wants to do in your life because again the valley feels so lonely even when you're down in it with an awesome support group and a strong faith it feels so lonely if you've ever gone through grief or sickness or abandonment you just you know these things feel Lonely, the crush of wanting to provide and protect and produce, and it's not happening, feels so lonely. And no dreams of future meadows and mountains is going to be warm enough to fully push back the cold of that darkness. So, 
Whether you have been or you are or you will be in the valley, I want you to know that when the brokenness overwhelms you, you are not alone. When the brokenness is overwhelming, you are not alone. God is with you working with, working for, comforting, working his way into you. So how do you keep moving through the inevitable pain of the valley of darkness while still letting God get into you? I think there are some significant ways that we can remember that we are not alone. And before we reveal these real quick and, and I'll finish up, um, these things are really hard to do in the valley because you feel alone. And so reaching out for someone else is going to feel really, really dumb and hard and pointless. It's why it is so important if you can. If you're down in this valley now, do everything in your power to turn to these things. But if you are not, it is so important to practice these things now in the meadows by the streams so that they're a habit when you get into the valley of darkness, okay? What do we do so we know we're not alone? We pray. You talk to God like he's with you even if you can't see him. You, you ask for rod and staff and comfort. Um, and you, you ask him to do whatever he needs to do in you and through you and do it quickly. God, I do not want to be down here any longer than I have to. So whatever it is you wanna do in me, let's do it, let's get it over with, let's make it happen now. And let's, let's keep moving. Ask God for these things. Ask for courage and hope and companionship and then find community. Find community, find others who are going through or have been through the darkness that you're going through. And that is impossible to do ahead of time. And I understand that because you don't know what you're going through until you're going through it. But to practice finding community, to practice reaching out, to practice finding people who will just sit with you and remind you that in the dark there is light, to remind you that when you can't see him, God is with you anyway, who will simply sit and listen as you talk about what the brokenness is weighing on you. Find community and then look for the work being done. Even in your mountaintops and your meadows, look for the work that is being done. When you are down in the dark valley, look for the work that is being done. Don't believe the lie that the work God wants to do is on the other side of this mountain. Oh, it's up over that hill. Well, God is gonna do something good when I'm over there. I just gotta get through this darkness now. No, there is a work that God is doing in the valley of darkness. There is a work that God wants to do in, through, and with you. And the God that is good on the mountain is good in the valley. The God who is with you on the mountain is with you in the valley. And there is good work that he wants to do with you in whatever space and circumstance you find yourself in. Okay, so life is pain. God is good. And God is making all things whole. Last night when we were talking about this, somebody pointed out that in Revelation, as Jesus is at the end 
So we've been in the beginning of the Bible and we're all the way at the end. Jesus says that there will come a day and a place where there's no more tears and no more pain because God is undoing the brokenness in our world. And a day is coming when all is good and whole and new. And God wants to do that work in us and through us and with us as we push back against the brokenness and bring wholeness, bring the kingdom of God to the world around us. And we get to participate in that every day. So let me pray for you as we uh, sing together. Father God, we know that we are uh, in need of your presence and we are so grateful for it. God, we know that we are in need of work being done in us, that none of us is perfect and whole and good. God, that we are trying to, to figure this out. God, we're so tempted to believe that, that we're responsible for the mountaintops. And so we just want to dig our way out of the valley. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get it done. God, we're so tempted to believe that comfort means that we're in comfortable places. Lord, we are in need of your comfort. We're in need of, of knowing your presence. We're in need of your work. In, in beautiful pastures, in dark valleys, when we're taunted by the mountaintops looming over us. God, we are need you. God, we are so grateful that we find you to be good. That in every place, in every circumstance, facing every challenge that you really are good. God, we need more and more of your goodness in us. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.